All right, quick, quick, quick review as we're jumping into our Finding Freedom series. If you're jumping in today, here's what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. We've been saying that freedom is something that we all want, but it's even bigger than that. Freedom is something that we actually need. That in our lives, we all find ourselves needing freedom from, from anxiety, from worry, from our past, from our regrets, um, from guilt, from shame, from all kinds of things. We actually need freedom. But the whole driving force behind this entire series is kind of a play on the idea of finding freedom. It's simply this, that we don't find freedom on our own. We actually follow free, follow God into the freedom that he has for us. We find freedom when we follow God, when we follow God into the freedom that he has for us and the freedom that he has won for us. So what we've been saying is we don't pursue freedom, we pursue God. And in pursuing God, we find the freedom that we were meant for all along. So we pursue God through prayer. We pursue God by stepping into the purposes that he created every single one of us for. We pursue God by, by surrendering and submitting to his perfect authority. And then we, we pursue God by trusting him as the God who can make a way and as the God who does make a way where there seems to be no way. And that's kind of where we've been. And we're looking at the story of the Exodus. And so today, as we move forward into the next part of the story of the Exodus, I want to ask you one simple question. And I want to ask you how you feel actually about these two words. The words are rules and religion. Rules and religion. I would guess most of us, when we hear the words rules and religion, our first thought is thumbs down. We're not fans of rules. We're most of us not fans of religion. But I think when it comes to the ideas of rules and religion, there are generally two types of people. There are rule followers and there are rule breakers. There's rule followers and rule breakers. And matter of fact, right now, so we can get to know each other a little bit, would you actually take a little bit of time in the chat or in the comment section and just let us know if you're a breaker or a follower. If you're a follower or a breaker, just type follower or breaker. Me, naturally, I'm, I'm a rule follower. I'm someone who, if there's a rule, I'm gonna do everything I can to follow it. But I think when it comes to these two ideas, as a rule follower or a rule breaker, if you're a rule follower or a rule breaker, there is a reason, there's a, th a driving force behind your decision to be a follower or to be a breaker. If you're a follower, you follow the rules because you assume that the rules is the best way to get the good things that you want out of life or to get what's promised to you. Maybe you follow religion for some of the same reasons that you think it's the way to get good things or to get the good out of life. If you're a breaker, if you're a rule breaker, it's actually the same for you, but you take it from the opposite perspective. You resist the rules because you assume the rules will keep you from getting the good things in life. In other words, you, you've kind of assumed that someone has created rules to keep you away from getting the good that life has to offer. And here's the thing, that's kind of fun to think about. That's kind of fun to, to, to hypothesize and think about, well, why do people follow the rules? Why do people naturally break the rules? But when it comes to religion, rules often get really messy and weird and complicated. And the rules actually often make us feel less free. The rules make us feel less free. And I'll say this today. If your version of religion is full of rules that make you feel less free, you need a different version of religion. If, if your version of religion has left you with a whole bunch of rules that make you feel less free and more restricted and more restricted and more restricted and more restricted, and there's never any freedom, you need, and we all need, a different version of religion because... God's rules and the right version of religion have a place and they have a purpose and, and they actually help to serve you and actually help you to be free and to live free. And so today, as we jump into the Exodus story, as we move forward from the Red Sea today, I want to kind of fast forward and give you the quick version of what happened in between the Red Sea and what happened 
at Mount Sinai. Here's the, here's the quick Cliff Notes version of what happened in between those two massive events. Um, here's what's happened. After 430 years in Egypt, God chose and called the slave people of Israel, his people, and his nation. God called them. God chose them. God said, you are my people. You are my nation. At that moment in time, God called them despite the fact that they very literally had nothing to offer God. God called them and chose them not because of their goodness, but because of his goodness. Because they were a people enslaved, their freedom had to be won, had to be bought, and God did for them what they could not do for themselves. Sound, sound familiar? God did for them what they could not do for themselves. God bought, God bought and God won their freedom. He used his power and his glory and his authority and his strength, and he brought that down on Egypt to win their freedom. After they were out of Egypt, he displayed his power over nature to guide them in the wilderness, to lead them to the place that he called, and to protect them by his power, and to rescue them once and for all from the power of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. That's everything that God has done before we got to the Red Sea. That's everything God has done to the point that we have read so far in the story. So now, so now they find themselves free from Egypt and really free and able to decide their own course and their own way forward for the first time in their lives and the first time as a nation. And what they find is that they're really, really bad at it. They're really bad at it first. They have little provisions. They are constantly in need of water. They're vulnerable to enemy attacks. They're free, but not everyone agreed to the same way of life and the same standard of living and the same standard of rules. So what's right and wrong is kind of is kind of up for debate. And so they're sometimes vulnerable um, from, from attacks within. They're free, but their livelihood in this new way of life is constantly hanging in the balance. So every step of the way, God leads and God provides and God intervenes on behalf of his people. So God provides water for the people by giving Moses a way to turn bitter water into good, healthy drinking water. This is a crazy episode of scripture that, that they find this place and the water is too bitter to drink and they fear for their lives. They fear that they're going to die in the wilderness, in the hot desert where there is no water. And God tells Moses to pick up a, 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 a log, a, a particular log, throw it into the water. And all of a sudden this bitter water becomes miraculously good and healthy and no longer has the bitter taste that they, that they refuse to drink. God provides water for them. God provides food for this large amount of people by bringing large amounts of quail to provide them with meat and protein. And with what they called manna, which provided them with food and sustenance beyond the quail. And God continued to provide manna. This is crazy. God continued to provide manna for the nation of Israel in the wilderness six days a week for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. God began this before they ever got to Mount Sinai, and he would carry it on for years and years and years as the God who provided food for them in the middle of a wilderness where not much grew and not much lived. They couldn't hunt for food. They couldn't go and pick the food. God provided food where there was no food. And as I said, also they were vulnerable to attack and a tribal nation known as the Amalekites came out to attack the Israelites. This would be their first test of battle. And there's this miraculous thing that happens in their very first taste of battle. God miraculously causes them to win a, a battle or a war that they had no business winning. The Amalekites were far more experienced. They had far greater weaponry and the Israelites go into the war and they begin to lose and they're losing and they're losing. And God says to Moses, you just go up to, onto the rock and you raise your hand and as long as your 
hands raised, as long as you're raising the staff of God, you, the Israelites will win. And so Moses goes and he lifts his hands and the people begin to win the war and win the battle that they have no business winning. And, he, and his arms become tired and he, and he starts to drop the staff and the, and the people begin, begin to lose. And so other people went and set rocks up to hold Moses' hands because as long as the hands were in the air, the people could not be defeated and the Israelites eventually routed the Amalekites. They won a battle they had no business winning. Every step of the way, every step of the way, God provided for a people who had nothing to offer Him. God made His way into a relationship with the Israelites, called them His people when they had no business being His people, called them His people when they had nothing to offer Him, provided for His people when they couldn't provide anything back in return. It's almost as if God really, really, really wanted a relationship with these people before he ever cared about rules and before he ever cared about a religion. And that's actually kind of the big idea today is simply this. When we talk about rules and religion, God established a relationship before he established rules or religion. We, we need to understand that, that this is what God did for the Israelites, and this is what God always does. God established a relationship before he established rules or religion. This is a big deal. This is the way things should work. Rules have a place. Religion has a place. And I know those are two words that get thrown around a lot, and they have a bad reputation, but they do have a place, and they do serve a purpose. The purpose of rules and the purpose of religion is to maintain and strengthen and, and protect an existing relationship. See, think about your life for a little bit. When in your life have you rebelled against the rules? When in your life have you rebelled against the rules? It, it, it might have been when they felt arbitrary, when they weren't connected to something larger, when it seemed like the rules didn't flow out of any relationship, or maybe when it seemed like the rules were a required condition for a relationship, like you couldn't have a relationship unless you kept the rules. Of course you rebelled against that type, those rules. Of course you rebelled against those. They were just Rules and rules without a relationship always lead to rebellion. Rules without a relationship always lead to a rebellion. And by the way, parents, if you're listening right now, if you're, if you're a parent listening right now, this is important for you as you parent your children. Rules without a strong relationship will always lead to rebellion. And if you want to help your children understand the rules, you have to make sure that the relationship is strong enough to sustain the rules that you are ask, asking your children to follow. Now, if you think about your life and the, the moments that you resisted religion, let's think about that for a moment, is when it was religion for religion's sake, when it was information that had nothing to do with transformation, when it became religion that served religious leaders but didn't do much for anyone else, when religion started to feel a lot like what and who we're against and little to do with what and who we're actually for, when religion gets reduced to a rules and a list of things that we do and don't do and who we're against, of course you rebelled against that. Of course you withdrew from that. And if you did good, good, that has nothing to do with the type of rules and the type of religion that God actually wants to use to strengthen the relationship that he has with you. That's rules and religion disconnected from the relationship that God wants with you and that God wants for you. But if you ran away from faith because of that version of faith, I've got good news for you. And this is why you should come back to faith. This is why you should consider returning to a, a place of faith and a place of a relationship with God. Because to God, relationship always comes before rules and religion. To God, relationship 
always, a relationship with you, a relationship with humanity, a relationship with me, a relationship always matters more. It always comes before rules and religion. Always. I mean, this is what God did for the nation of Israel. Before they go to Mount Sinai and ever receive the rules and ever were given the standard of behavior and ever were given, here's what's expected to you. Before they ever had the law, before God ever said, this is what I want you to do and how I want you to live. God chose them and called them and called them his people and rescued them and did everything that he did for them. God made the relationship possible through his love and through his strength. He, not they, established the relationship with no strings attached, with no rules attached, with no, if you do this, I'll be your God, with none of that, with none of the background rules and religion that we would expect. God established the relationship. And then the rules and the religious system that he was about to hand to Moses was meant to protect and serve and strengthen that relationship. It's what he did in the story of the Exodus, and it's also what God did with Jesus on the cross. God established the relationship. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. Jesus came to establish a new relationship. A relationship that was once again completely one-sided as it began. God chose to make forgiveness available to everyone everywhere for all time because everyone everywhere for all time had sinned and would be sinners. They needed a Savior and God in His goodness and in His mercy, when you had nothing to offer Him and when I had nothing to offer Him, He made a way for me and He made a way for you. He established the relationship before any rules or any religion were ever expected with no strings attached, with none of the religion attached, with none of the rules attached, with no, if you do this, I'll be your God. He simply made a way for you and he made a way for me to be made whole and to be made right with him. It is the unbelievable story of the Exodus and the incredible story of God's love for you and for me through Jesus. That before God gave any rules and before there was any religion, God established a relationship. And with that as the background, with that as what's happened in Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 19, now we get to to Mount Sinai. Now we get to Mount Sinai, where God would give his people the rules, where he would give them the rules and the religion that were meant to strengthen and support and protect the relationship that he had established. And here's God's first rule. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, you must have no other God but me. You must not have any other God but me. And in the context of what we have just heard, you would kind of think this is a no-brainer. Like if you're Moses and you're receiving these laws, you're like, all right, God, I got a, I got a paper, I got pen and paper out, I got a tablet out, got a nice little chisel. Like I'm about to take down the rules, about to take down the laws. What's the first law? And God says, here's the first law. I'm your God and you were to have no gods before me. You kind of look up and go, do we need that law? Like, is that, is that a law that you think we need it this way? Is that a rule that you think we, like, God, after all that you have done for us, you don't need to tell us that you're our God. Like, we're pretty bought in. You have rescued us. You've saved us. You brought us freedom. You brought us out of a terrible situation. You provided a way where there was no way. You've, like, shown your power. You've shown your strength. You've shown your love. Like, yes, you are our God. It's it's us and you, boo. It's like, that's that's how we're, that's, like, we are good. We are going to make sure that, like, of course you are our God. And of course that we're not going to put anyone else before you. Like, we would never do that. 
But God knew. God knows the hearts of humanity and knows that we're fickle and knows that we have short attention spans and knows that we all have a tendency to run after the next thing that we think will bring us happiness or freedom or joy or peace and make that the priority in our lives. Because God knows that about you, because God knows that about me, and because God has established the way for a relationship with me and with you, he wants to make sure right off the bat, when it comes to the rules, when it comes to the rules that are meant to support the relationship, I'm the first priority. God is the first priority. God wants to be in the first place in my life and in your life. God wants the relationship with him to matter more than anything. Then God goes on to give the next the, the next rule, the next command. He says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or, or, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. See, here's the thing. We hear that in our modern context. We think, oh my gosh, like that's such a rule that we don't need because we wouldn't build idols for ourselves. We wouldn't bow down before an idol that we made with our own hands. We wouldn't just give our attention or give our affection or give our worship to, to just some idol. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. And here's the thing. I want to be gentle. I want to be gentle as I say this today. I want to be gentle. We all build idols. We all have idols. Now, it may not be taking a piece of wood and carving something out of it, and it may not be taking a stone and chiseling something out of it and bowing down and worshiping it. It may not be that. But let me just say this for some of us. For some of you guys, you spend more time researching fantasy football projections than you do studying your Bible. And, and here's the thing. For all the ladies who just actually out loud cheered at their phones as I said that, let me, let, let me talk to you. Some of you ladies, you spend more time on Pinterest than you do in prayer. Let's be honest, for some of us, we spend way more time when we wake up in the morning, our very first thing we reach for is our phone to check our stock performance rather than spending time in, in, in the word of God or spending time with God in prayer. Like all of us do that. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that judgmentally against anyone else because I'm included in that. There are times where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm spending way too much time on things that do not matter. And I'm not spending any time with the God who's supposed to be the priority in my life. And so whether it's a relationship or an interest or a hobby or a financial thing or a career thing, we all have a tendency to get distracted by things that move God out of first place in our lives. So today, in, in light of that, in light of all of that, after just the first two of the Ten Commandments that are meant to, meant to help us to support the relationship that God has for us, meant to strengthen and protection the relationship that God has established for us, in light of that relationship with our Heavenly Father, let me just ask you this question. Is God first in your life? Is God first in your life? Is he number one? Is he in the one spot? Is he, is he, is he in the place in your life where he is the priority? Is he actually, is he first in your life? And since we're all, and so what, since we're watching church online and our natural response is like, look, I'm making time for church today. Of course God is first in my life. Of, of course God is first in my life. Let me ask you this question in another way. Is God first in your life? Really? Is God first in your life? Really? Like, 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 I know we're doing church online right now, but here's another way of asking that. Is God first in your life or has something or someone or some interest or some hobby or some pastime or some work thing or some relationship, has something taken the place of priority in your life? Has something, has something moved God to the back burner spot where you pull him out when you need him? You pull him out when there's a situation that you don't know how to handle. But most of the time, you're so focused on other things that God is kind of just another thing. God 
after he's established the relationship, after he gave his son for you, after he gave his son's very life and didn't spare the best that heaven had to offer so that you could be in a relationship with him, God looks at us and says, look, I understand that there is a lot of stuff that can be distracting in life, but the relationship that I have planned for you, it only works when I'm the priority. It only works, and your life will only work, and you'll only stay free when I'm in first place. I'm supposed to be your priority and nothing else. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they push me out of first place, something needs to change because the relationship will not work unless I'm in first place in your life, unless I'm the priority in your life. So that's the whole thing with the first two commandments. God goes on to make another one. He says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, I grew up in church thinking that this meant that you're not supposed to use bad words. You're not supposed to say bad words. You're not supposed to say certain words. And depending on the church you grew up in, there was a different list of words that you weren't allowed to say and that you weren't supposed to say. And and it's funny to think about that. And I still think, you know, it's a good thing to not use bad words. That's, That's a great thing when it comes to society, great thing when it comes to communication. But that's not really what this verse is talking about. This is God saying, you know how you could wreck a relationship with me? If you attach my name to things that have nothing to do with me, we're gonna have problems. We're not problems. If you attach my name and if you use my name as permission to do things that I would never want for you to do, we're going to have problems and we're going to have issues. And as a parent, I, I get this because our three-year-old, our three-year-old has recently gotten into that stage of life where she understands that mommy and daddy don't always say the same thing and, and sometimes we'll give her permission to do different things. And so she'll come to me and she'll go, daddy, can I do this? And I say, no, you can't do this. And so naturally her thought is, well, this is what I want to do. Daddy said, no, so I'm going to go ask mommy, right? We all, we all know what this scenario can look like. So she goes to Jalen and she, and she goes to Jalen. And Jalen and I have, ta- have talked through these scenarios. We've talked through like, hey, we need to be paying attention. We need to be listening for each other so that, you know, so that if, if, if you know what I've said, you can just say the same thing. Or if you don't know what I've said, but you know she's asked me, you ask her, well, what did daddy say? Or what did mommy say? And so we, so we ask those questions. And, I, and let me just let you know, I am absolutely okay with my daughter playing those games. I'm glad that she's smart enough to figure out that like, hey, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to ask all the questions. I'm going to ask everyone. I'm going to knock, knock, knock. I'm going to ask, ask, ask. I'm going to seek, seek, seek. You know, like she hasn't figured out how to do it with God yet, but she's figuring out how to do it with us. And so she's going to keep pursuing what she wants until, until she either gets a final no or until she gets, like, like I'm fine with all that. Let me tell you what I'm not fine with though. Sometimes I will tell her no, and then she'll go to ask Jalen, and, and Noble will, will you know, ask Jalen, can I have this thing? And Jalen will say, well, what did daddy say? And our three-year-old little beautiful daughter, Noble, will look up, and she'll get this big, dumb smile and this big, dumb grin on her face, and she'll say, daddy says yes. Daddy says yes. And I'm like, oh, no. And if I'm in my desk chair or if I'm on the couch or if I'm sitting in some other chair, that moment I get up and I leap out of my chair and I run to the kitchen or the living room or wherever there. I say, you know, daddy did not say yes. You know, daddy said no. And, I, and, and, and here's the thing. I, it's, it's funny. It's a ridiculous moment. It's a ridiculous scenario. But in that moment, whether it's because of the lie that has been told in my name or whether it's because she's trying to do something that I use my name as permission to get something that she knows I have already said no to. In that moment, the relationship has taken a ding. The relationship has gotten damaged a little bit. I mean, we're not crazy. We're not, we're not actually, you know, like, you know, throwing, throwing a relationship away over that. But in that moment, I, I don't necessarily trust my three-year-old daughter as much. 
because she is attaching my name to something that she knows I want, I do not want for her. She's attaching my name to things that I, that I, that she knows I know are harmful for her. And she's using my name as permission to do some things that are not okay with me. And for God's people at Mount Sinai and for God's people in 2021, we need to be reminded of this, that when God's people attach God's name to things that God would have no involvement in, the relationship breaks, that God's heart breaks. When we take God's name and use it to do things that God would have nothing to do with, the relationship takes a hit. When religious leaders use the word of God as a club, it, the, the relationship takes a hit. When people misuse the Bible to support their political opinion that has almost nothing to do with the Bible, the relationship takes a hit. When people do wrong in the name of Jesus because they have a Bible verse that they handpick to support what they already want to do, the relationship takes a hit. It breaks God's heart and it ultimately harms the relationship. And I could, if I could just say one thing in 2021, don't be that Christian. Don't be that Christian who uses God's name to do things that God would have nothing to do with it. Don't be that Christian. Go on to the fourth command that God gave. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and sets it apart. As holy. And this is such a fascinating rule. There was a rhythm to this that God had already established before He made the rule. I mentioned earlier that when God provided manna for the people, He would provide manna six days a week. But on the seventh day, there would be no manna. And there's this interesting rhythm that God had wanted for the people. And when the manna showed up, God told Moses, tell the people, go out, get just enough for today. Get just enough for, for today. If you get more than you need for today, it will go bad by tomorrow. And that's exactly what happened. But on the, set, on the sixth day, God tapped Moses on the shoulder and said, Moses, I want you to tell the people, today you go out and you get enough for two days because tomorrow is supposed to be a day for rest. Don't go try to gather any. Don't try to do that. Just simply go and gather for two days and God will take care of making sure that what, he, what you prepared for the second day does not spoil and what you picked up for the second day does not spoil. And that's exactly what happened, that God provided enough for the people even when they did not work. Even when they did not work, God provided. And this was a constant reminder for them as, as they wandered in the wilderness and as they wandered in the wilderness past Mount Sinai. This was a constant reminder that even when we don't work, we can depend on God to provide for us. And so the, here's the thing. The Sabbath is a rule to help us recognize our dependence on our relationship with God. The Sabbath is a rule to help us recognize and remember our dependence on our relationship with God. See, God gave a command that sounds so simple, and yet I know is one of the hardest for me to follow. Rest. Do nothing. Rest. Do nothing. And not just because I need rest and not just because I need times in my life where I do nothing, but God gave me, gave this rule to his people as, as, as a way for all of us to be reminded that at the end of the day, we do not depend on our own ability to provide. We depend on God's ability to provide. We depend on God to provide for us. We depend on God to protect us. That even in the moments where we cannot do this for ourselves or we're commanded to not do it for ourselves, that God is looking out for us, providing for us watching out for us, protecting us. This is a rule that builds our trust in God. That as we do, as we rest, 
but God still provides enough, we are reminded constantly that we can trust our God to provide. And so we have the first four of the Ten Commandments, and they all seem to have to do with this relationship that we have with God, with building a trust in God, with understanding what God would have us do and who He'd want us to be, and how, how, how He wants to be first place in our lives and nothing else to take the place of first place in our lives. And then it almost seems like God takes a turn from the relationship with Him to our relationships with others. And so we have this, the, rest of the, the rest of the Ten Commandments seem to deal with our relationships with other people. Here they are. He says, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All the parents said is strong. Amen. Amen. Here's the, here's the next one. You must not murder. Everyone who likes living just said amen. You might not have said amen to that one because you're like, I'm never really particularly worried about being murdered. But back in, in, in these days where people could just, you know, live, live and die and live and die and take someone's life, this was an important rule that life mattered to God. So you must not murder. Everyone who likes living said amen. You don't take someone else's life in your hands to end it. Next, next law was this, that you must not commit adultery. Every married person said amen. Everyone who someday wants to get married said amen. That you don't, that, that you don't sleep with someone that you're not married to. It hurts you and it hurts them. It hurts your spouse. And you can't have a relationship with your spouse without trust and adultery breaks Trust. Here's the next thing, the, the next law. You must not steal. In other words, you don't take what belongs to someone else. You can't have a relationship with someone when you have taken something that belongs to them and you've not returned it. You don't steal. It says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. If you're asked for information about another person, you don't knowingly spread falsehoods. You can't have a relationship with someone that you lie about. Final law was this. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You cannot have a healthy relationship with someone that you envy or someone that you are jealous of. You can't have that relationship. See, God cares a lot about being first and about being the priority in your life. And it's as if God cares just as much about the way you treat other people, the relationships that you have with others. God actually spent more time and gave more commands and more rules and more laws about how we treat others than about how we have a relationship with Him. See, from the beginning of God's relationship with His people, God said, love me and love those that I have made. Love me love those around you. Love me, love those around you. It reminds me of a question Jesus was asked during his earthly ministry in Mark chapter 12. Jesus was asked this. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. In other words, just as much as we love God, we have to do this second thing. The second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and with all your strength, with everything that you have. He's in first place. And right up there next to that, is that you love the people that God has surrounded you with and you treat other people the way that you would want to be treated. You love others as you love yourself. So you want to live in God's freedom? You want to know how rules and religion apply when it comes to living in God's freedom? See, it's simply this, that God's rules are meant to keep you right with Him and with the people that He made. 
God's rules are meant to keep you right with him and keep you right with the people that he made. What's the place of rules? What's the place of religion? They're meant to support you as you relate to God and to keep you from stupid as you relate to others. God's rules and God's laws, God's, God's, the, the religion as God has in, in, intended it to be, all of that stuff, it's meant to keep you right with God. It's meant to protect and support the relationship that you have as you connect with your heavenly father as the priority in your life. It's meant to, to keep and support that relationship strong. And then the, the rules are made to keep you from doing stupid things that would harm other people and harm their relationships with the people that God has surrounded you with. God's rules are meant to support you as you relate to God and keep you from stupid as you relate to others. In other words, God's rules are designed to keep you free. God's rules are designed to keep you free. That when God gives us a rule, when God gives us a command, when God gives us an instruction, it is not for our harm. It is not to keep us from something. It is to keep us from harm. It is to keep us from ruining a relationship that God says matters. It's to keep us from ruining a relationship with him. It's to keep him as the first place in our lives. And if, our, if he is not first place in our lives, we will not be free. We will not experience the freedom that he has for us. We only experience the freedom that he has for us when we keep him in his rightful place of priority in our lives. And our lives only work right when we work well with other people and when we serve other people, when we love other people well, when we treat other people well, when we treat other people with the same love that God has shown to us. You want to stay free? You follow what God says. You want to stay free? You follow God's ways. You follow God's rules. You practice religion that keeps you close to God. That's what we do. Religion has a place. Rules have a place. They're meant to support you and your relationship with God. And they're meant to support you and your relationships with others. You want to know how to live free? You follow God. You find freedom by following God and following his ways and trusting that he knows best and trusting that the things that he has given us to support our relationship with him actually will support our relationship with him and keep us free when it comes to our relationships with others because we're serving and loving other people well. That's how you find freedom. That's how I find freedom. That's how all of us find freedom. We find freedom when we follow God and we trust his ways. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you that right now there are some people who are making a decision to trust you and to come back to you. That maybe they walked away for a stretch, walked away for a season, but they're making the decision that if if if, if the rules are really meant to, su to support a relationship and the relationship is ultimately what matters with you, that they're coming back to you right now. If you're making that decision right now, let me just say, you could make that decision today and it's a wonderful decision to make. I think it's the best decision that you could ever make to trust your Heavenly Father and begin a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. But God, as we, as we make that decision today, I just simply pray that all of us we would recognize what you have done for us, that you began the relationship with us, that you began a relationship for us, that you made a relationship available that we could not make available for ourselves. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for Jesus' work on the cross. Thank you for what you did for the Israelites, that you provided step by step by step by step every single way the relationship that you wanted to have for them and have with them. And so God, I just simply pray today that we would know the role of rules. We would know the role of, of religion in our lives. That it's, it's never supposed to take the first place. It's never supposed to be the priority. God, you're supposed to be our priority. And anything else that you ask us to do, it's supporting our relationship with you. It's building our trust in you, building our dependence on you, helping us understand how much we need you. 
And God, I thank you that just as much as you care about our relationship with you, you care about our relationships with others. So God, thank you for the call to love you and the call to love others. God, help us to have wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. Help us have the, the courage to actually put it into practice. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.